This is Makeshift Media, the podcast dedicated to embracing fearless creativity to support mental and spiritual well-being. I'm Anna, an intuitive guide specializing in tarot and hypnotherapy. In this space, we gather between the magic and the messes, encouraging one another to start before we're ready and figure it out along the way. Instagram has started to feel like it's forcing me into a codependent relationship with it. It's creating this anxious attachment that I have worked so hard to get rid of in every other area of my life. So hard. (laughs) So I don't want to just accept that because I'm on this platform, I'm going to be anxiously attached to it. And I want to weed this out the way I weeded out the other codependent relationships in my life. I know that people share rad feminist stuff on Instagram all the time, but as a platform, Facebook, which owns Instagram is all about surveillance and it is all about monetizing people's personalities and dreams and desires against them. And that to me is, is not is anti like against feminism. It undermines feminism. And so I feel like to be fully in my values I can't be here. And that in some senses sucks because this is great. (laughs) Like this, Mm -hmm. this conversation and everyone watching, like I will miss this. And like, I can't so easily recreate this off Instagram. Like I, I get, I am making a sacrifice when I leave. I see it that way. And I'm grieving something when I leave. But I think that to create the new world, we all have to make sacrifices. and. I'm going to sacrifice Instagram the same way I sacrificed Amazon. Like, it's fine. I'm going to give up something because I want something that I believe is better. And that I believe, and that if I'm going to believe it can happen, I have to be willing to give this up. And and honestly, we're going to have to give up way harder things than Instagram and Amazon to actually live in a world where everybody gets to be free. Amelia Jo Ruby is a feminist writer educator, and podcaster with a PhD. She's the author of 50 Feminist Mantras, and she was instrumental in helping me get season two of this podcast off the ground. In anticipation of her 30th birthday this month, she decided to leave Instagram. We had one last live conversation to discuss what that process was like. We also talked about boundaries, self-love, and of course, our complicated relationship with social media. The discussion was so impactful that we wanted to share it on the podcast. I'm so grateful to welcome her to this space today. Wow, I guess it probably is my last live, which was also fine. It was like a sweet little moment. Um, well, I picked a tarot card for our last live and I chose the three of cups because it's about community and (laughs) friendship and love. I love this card. It is like the celebratory community card to me. So, um, it can guide us in conversation today. I love that. So if you don't know, Anna and I did a sort of feminist tarot series on Instagram live. Gosh, was that in November? Yes. That feels like very much longer ago than it actually was. Yeah, it does. But that is partially why I thought it was perfectly apt to choose a card for today. So that's the energy. So yeah, this is our energy for today. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we have this conversation about cultivating self-love and community off social media because I am leaving Instagram. So yes, you have been doing selfies for self-love practice this month. Yeah. A couple friends and a couple folks inside the coven are participating in that. Tell me about how that's been. And you did a round of that last year. So I just want to hear how it's been this time around and how the experience has been unique. Yeah. So For folks who are new to me, I host something called the Selfies for Self-Love Practice Group. I did not create like the Selfies for Self-Love movement. That's a whole thing across the internet for many, many years. (laughs) But I have been taking Selfies for Self-Love and sharing them on Instagram for, it feels like my whole life. Like there are different, I've been sharing selfies on the internet for a very long time um, as the millennial I am, but then I've been 
really talking about self, my selfie practice and self-love probably for about three years now. And last summer, I launched this practice group to kind of, I had a small curriculum um, that I wanted to share with people about, you know, take what, what are selfies? What's self-love? How do we think about the different theories of the gaze in our selfies? And um, how do we think about selfies and gender? How do we think about taking more radical selfies? So I created this little curriculum and then I wanted to have a group work through it together. So that's the Selfies for Self-Love practice group. I hosted two last summer and then one this month. Mm-hmm. I host them on Signal, which is a private chat um, app. And I love it. It's such a joy um, to see how supportive people are of each other and what happens when you kind of open a space that has some clear boundaries around um, that, how we're going to interact with each other. So, you know, mm-hmm. when you share selfies in the selfies or self-love practice group, you can be really sure there's going to be no shitty comments. There's going to be no commenting on your body at all. There's going to be no objectification. All these things that happen when we put a selfie out there, just like on the internet or on Instagram, <laughs> particularly if you have a public profile, but in the group, it's just a space where everyone's going to, you share a selfie and everyone's going to show up to tell you something that they think is really wonderful about kind of the choices you made in the selfie. So I have a group that we don't comment on each other's bodies. So when you're, but we do cheer each other's selfies. So it's kind of like when you see a selfie, instead of being like, wow, your hair looks so nice. You say, wow, I love where you chose to put your hands or wow. I love how you thought about the framing or I love how the light works in this picture. Or I love how your selfie makes me feel calmer are you kind of like so I really enjoy that part of the community and this group has been like a gift a true a true (laughs) gift of humans (laughs) that and just to like hold that space and guide them has been a real a real joy this spring especially I think like hitting a year into the pandemic and just being so exhausted and just all of us sharing like selfies in our pajamas are like like it's not a it's not a highly performative space no one's like we're just showing up as we are and taking selfies to commemorate these like simple right now or challenging moments of our lives right now Um, yeah so yeah that's my rambling on about the selfies (laughs) for self practice group (laughs) i love that and i imagine for a lot of us myself included our relationships with our bodies have changed and been challenged Mm. and just taken a different shape since this pandemic started. Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, And it's something that I talk to people in the group about It's something I've shared about here on Instagram myself, like, so many of us are processing so many things. Like, you know, I think I think we're all just having to meet our bodies in totally new and different ways. And for some of us, that might be about like weight gain during the pandemic and the challenges of your body looking or feeling differently. For others of us, it might be, I've been dealing with just like a lot of tightness and soreness from not moving. That can be a real challenge. Your body might feel really different. For other people, and this is something I've written a little bit about, it's like not feeling safe in our bodies, not trusting, mm-hmm. losing a trust because of COVID-19 being fearful about the harm our bodies, about our bodies not being safe for us, but also the harm they can do to other people. That's a really um, challenging thing to process for me um, because I've been spending a lot of time with older family toward the end of the pandemic and just being like, wow, how do I, it's not just about keeping my body safe. Like what I do with my body has to be about keeping other bodies safe. And that's, it's like a lot, it's a lot of layers. So yeah, there's a lot of body stuff to talk about Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, it sounds like having that regular practice is a way to hold space mm-hmm. for all those things. And I'm wondering, because this is not a new practice for you, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what that process of kind of holding space for all of those layers has looked like this last year. Yeah, I'd say that sort of early in the pandemic, I did an interview with my friend, Missy. And she asked me, like, what has self-care looked like for you during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. 
And what I said then still feels really true, which is that for me, self-care during the pandemic has been all about self-forgiveness. And that's what I think when you ask like what, what is holding space for all those many feelings felt like it's just been a lot of forgiving myself. It's been a lot of realizing how many narratives and stories live in my body about what I should be doing. I should look what I should be doing, what I should have accomplished by now, where I should be going. (laughs) And just like, I've been doing a lot of clearing and a lot of forgiving myself for like, in some instances, like the pressure I put on myself to live up to those standards, but in others, like not giving myself the things I need on like a really daily, simple basis, forgiving myself for not drinking water, forgiving myself, not washing my hair for over a week, you know, like yeah. all of that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that um, in terms of how I use that to hold space for other people, it's just like the more that I can bring that spirit into a space and the more I think I can mm-hmm. practice self-forgiveness out loud, practice it in public, the more other people realize that they can give themselves that permission. Like I can't give anybody permission to do what they want to do with their life or their time or how they treat themselves. But what I can do is show them how well I can treat myself or forgive myself. And I found that just like modeling that really raises like a, the per general permission level of us. Um, so that's always what I'm trying to do when I hold space with people. Yeah. That's really empowering. Like that idea of showing people how to give themselves permission Mm-hmm. rather than giving them permission. Something that my best friend and I will do is when we, because a lot of times what I've noticed is it's a lot easier for me to speak with kindness and have that like level of forgiveness with mm-hmm. my friends than it is with myself. So something she and I do, because we talk on the phone pretty much every day, if we catch each other in kind of those like negative thought patterns like oh I'm feeling down on myself today or like I'm not feeling like enough or yeah just generally feeling really we have this like code word we use you kind of break the thought pattern with something funny or like ridiculous it's something I learned when I studied at neurolinguistic programming Mm -hmm. so it's just like a it's not really a safe word we call it that but it's something we can't help but laugh at and then it snaps out of that and we're just like we remember how much love we have for each other and we should have for ourselves self-forgiveness is so powerful and has a ripple effect I love that and she is like weirdly obsessed with Muppet Treasure Island so her code word is Billy Bones that's what that's great (laughs) we can't like we and we say it like the character says it so we can't help but laugh yeah that's like become her thing yeah I appreciate that I it has been cultivated that like energy that I try to carry and bring to space it's it's like I've worked on it I'll just say that like I don't think I've always had that for some people I do think it's like very innate and for me I think I have worked really hard to get into good relationship with myself it has been a practice it is time it has at times been painful and and so hard and so much um uprooting and upheaval yeah but It has been so, so worth it. And Anna, I love that code word practice. I think that (laughs) it's so nice when you have people in your life who can like mirror back to you, like, hey, do you realize you're being really hard on yourself? Or, hey, you should, you might need to slow down because you, you sound stressed or, um, and that, I mean, I love, I love that. And I hope all of us can, or at point, different points do have those people, but it also sounds to me like a beautiful practice. You could kind of work with like for yourself. Like I can imagine myself coming up with a code word for myself. I don't know what it would be. I'm like looking at my desk and there's nothing funny on it. Here we go. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, it could be like lip gloss or something yeah. <laughs> where it's like when I catch myself in a super negative thought pattern or spiral and just mm-hmm. like hey please don't talk badly about my friend yeah just say that to yourself that's and like it's such a simple and powerful practice to cultivate that self-love or at least that like tenderness towards yourself in those moments yeah. it's a good practice to have with yourself or someone you trust really well because sometimes 
hearing, oh, like you, you, you look great though. Or like, oh, you shouldn't yeah. say that about yourself from just anybody. I mm-hmm. think it can feel invalidating. Like, oh, yeah. you, you don't have a reason to feel this way, but it's hard to, to hold space for. And like, you put it really beautifully uproot those feelings mm-hmm. if we're not acknowledging them first. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that for me in the communities that I work in and like facilitate, it's always super important that when somebody comes to the group with a negative feeling or a challenging memory or anything that's like critical or hard, we never say you shouldn't feel that way. I, we always say, at least I always say like, I'm sitting with you in that or I'm, holding space for that feeling or that challenge. And often the person who brings it will say like, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I want to feel. Like, I don't want to feel this way. So that's a beautiful moment to say, like, I'm sitting with you and that pain or that hardness or that challenge. But also I am like cheering you on toward this thing that you want. And I'm like helping you. I'm like holding the space for that. I'm like opening it so we can go there together. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you're so right, Anna, because when you're feeling shitty, somebody's saying, don't feel shitty, <laughs> makes you feel more shitty. <laughs> Who said that should work? I have a lot of well-meaning people in my life that have done that with me for years, because like, as someone who has, since I can remember, been aware that anxiety and depression is part of my experience, I'm not even going to say like, I've struggled with it, because it's just part of what I deal with. And I'm getting better at doing so. There, a lot of well-meaning people are like, "Oh, don't feel sad, don't feel anxious, like, just be happy." Yeah. And like, you are entitled to all the things that you're feeling, even if you need to feel shitty for a little while. But I found it's so much easier to feel better if I let myself feel all those things, even yeah. if it like takes me like a day. Yeah, I'm a big fan of surrendering to a feeling. Yeah, I think it's, I love, there are so many people who talk about this lesson. It is Mm -hmm. not unique to me, but just like you have that you have to move through a feeling you can't go around it. Or if you do go around it or you push it down, you haven't processed it. It will come back. It doesn't go. You just kind of like, if you bypass it, it's still there. (laughs) So I just, I think that that is really powerful. And I think that for me, the practice has just been learning to do that more regularly and with a little Mm -hmm. more ease. I think that I used to really try to avoid feelings and then I would get forced through them and it would be so (laughs) bad and hard. And instead, if I can recognize, oh, this, this feels bad. I literally will have the conversation with myself sometimes. It's just like, all right, am I going to do this right now when it's coming up? Or am I going to do it in like three months when it randomly shows up out of nowhere because I avoided it? Yeah. and more, more and more often, I just choose right now. I just choose like, okay, I'm going to make space for this and I'm going to move through it. And doing that myself has made it much easier to hold that space for other people. And it feels much less heavy to hold that space for other people. And I wanted to say too, like, there is a lot of boundary that's important with that. I think a lot of us, part of the reason we say like, don't feel bad or like, don't be anxious, um, it's because we don't want to feel responsible for somebody else's feelings or we don't want to, we're like a little bit afraid that if we witness that fully, we'll feel bad too. That's a good point. And I, I hear that. And I have, I have been in relationships where like the other person or people's goal was to basically just like, like offload their bad feelings onto someone else. Like that's why they wanted to tell you about them. So yeah. You know, this doesn't always, not always easy. Kind of the way I've said it is like, yeah, you just hold space. And like, yeah, you just tell people you're sitting in yeah. their hard feelings with them. And that's true. You do just do that. But you also do have to like have your own kind of energetic boundaries and know that like, you know, saying you're holding space for someone's feeling, in my opinion and practice, doesn't mean that I have to feel, I can't feel that feeling for them. I can give them grace as they work through it, but it doesn't mean I have to take it on and it doesn't make it my responsibility. Definitely does not mean I need to fix it for them. We're never fixing feelings in my, my world. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I have been learning a lot, a lot about 
boundaries around holding space for people. Mm -hmm. So I'm basically like learning to have conversations about that with people that I'm close mm -hmm. to or in community with. Hey, I see you and I'm here for you. Yeah. There's a limit to how much I can hold this for you. Mm -hmm. So what does that, what does that look like for you? Maybe not, maybe not even like the, in your practice group, but just. Yeah. I think that for me, it, it becomes a lot about communication, which I think can feel a little counterintuitive because we mm -hmm. tend to think of boundaries as about not communicating. Like we think mm -hmm. of boundaries as like the wall of like, this is where it ends for me. Mm -hmm. But I often like, if I've set a boundary like that, it actually for me normally means something has gone kind of wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. If I end up there, sometimes I'll start relationships or conversations with that type of boundary to, to hold the space well. So I'll say like, okay, let's talk about how you're feeling today, but I need you to know I only have 10 minutes or I need you to know that I also mm -hmm. have a day, so I might have to check out of this, or I need you to know that I only advise on creative practice so I can listen to you talk about your family history and how hard that is. But I don't have any, like, I can't give you advice on that. Those are like different yeah. hard boundaries that I might, hard is relative, um, firm or those are different types of boundaries I might set up before I enter space holding. But then once I'm there, I really think it's all about communicating. Like the permeability comes back. It's like by creating that container, I've gone somewhere where I can be really fluid with somebody. And to me, that means that I can say like, hearing you say that makes me feel this, or this feeling is coming up for me. So I would like to change this about how we're talking, how we're talking mm -hmm. about, it. or I really hear, like, I want to witness you in that, but it's way too close to something I'm going through. And I can't, I can't right now, or it's going to really impact the whole rest of my week. If I'm, if I go into that with you. So I'm always trying to like, just really communicate where I'm at when I'm listening and how I'm taking something in so that I can really be the most like receptive version of myself. And one of the ways I learned this, I realized as I'm talking about is through doing interviews for 50 feminist states, because I used to travel for the podcast. I used to go to places. I used to like, I've talked on a lot about how part of my podcasting process was really about like pulling down all of my energetic barriers to soak in a place wow. and the people I was speaking to, which is like, I'm learning more and more really dangerous practice <laughs> and some not dangerous is maybe a little strong, but like it requires that you have like a lot of, you're really centered to be able to do that. And it's also why the road trips, I could never make it more than like two weeks because I was so exhausted because I was like, this is a little down a tangent, but I mean, I was traveling in cities every two days and I was trying to soak in the wholeness of a place in two days, which is impossible. I didn't think yeah. I could accomplish, but it meant that, yeah, I would go into these interviews and just pick up everything the thing in the space and when you're doing that with activists like activists carry a lot and activists come to their work with a lot of feelings and so I really had to learn like how to hold that openness and what like before and after care practices I needed energetically to like be okay and it's part of the reason that my partner always traveled with me because JJ co-regulates me really really well which is really really one of the beautiful things about our relationship he's like Horace and he he grounds great yes. as I, I was gonna like, say I remember you describing him that way and I was like oh that's so that sounds like such a beautiful partnership I mean I know it is but yeah yeah it's a real joy so anyway I think that those are kind of how I think about answering your question and where some of that comes from for me is yeah I'm always trying to like enter enter space holding with some clear boundaries and then communicate my way through the whole time. And I also will say to you, like, I, I really just try to listen, which is a lot harder than people think. Maybe everyone here, a lot of people I see in here, A, thank you for being here. B, I know you're like super empathic and mm -hmm. probably good at mm -hmm. listening and soaking in. But I often think that if what I'm doing... I, I can get myself in a listening space where things pass through me pretty quickly. And if I'm entering a hard conversation, I try to remind myself that's what needs to happen. I can't let those things stick. And mm -hmm. like, I'm there to 
listen. And I kind of, I have never talked about this out loud. So this is a wild conversation we're having, (laughs) but it's like, it's, I think of it more as like a prism. Like what I'm trying to do is let the person, like if, if someone's asking me to hold space for something they're feeling particularly that's challenging, I'm trying to like be a prism so we can kind of bring that through. Maybe I can point it a different direction. Maybe it'll channel differently through me, but I'm not trying to process it for them. I'm not trying to give them advice about it. I'm not trying to make sense of it for them or even for me. I'm just trying to listen. And I think how we, I've been thinking about listening a lot lately and my dissertation director wrote a whole book on listening that I can't wait for it to come out. And so I think so much of space holding is learning for me, it's learning to listen in really profound ways. Yeah. Listening like active listening is such a whatever phrase, <laughs> but it, it is like, what I like about it is it points to the fact that we think we know how to listen and we don't know how to listen. We think listening is just something that happens. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's everything I think in holding space for me. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. I love that visualization of imagining that you are like kind of a prism. Mm -hmm. That's similar to like something I do when I meditate, any like thoughts, any feelings that come up, I think of them as leaves that float. I watch them. And that's when you said, you know, I'm not here to give advice. I'm not here to make sense of it for them. That's something that I have to do to check in with myself and the other person. And I think part of it, I'm going to, I'm going to blame this on my son in Virgo. I inherently <laughs> default to giving advice. And so I'll usually just like name that if someone needs to vent or is going through a hard time and I'll be like, Hey, what do you need from me? Do you just need to vent? Do you want some advice? And so I think that kind of helps set the tone in my own mind. Okay. I'll be listening for how I can support them in that way. Or I'm just here to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. And I think it's so true. And especially because you do coaching and people come to you for advice and like they want that. So I also think that being really clear in different situations is important. And something I've learned over the past is asking, always asking before I give advice, like getting consent to give Mm -hmm. advice. And I would say for me too, because it's also really different. If I'm giving advice, I'm not listening. Those are totally different things to me. That's a great point. Yes. And it doesn't mean giving advice is bad. I love to give advice. (laughs) You're helping me with season two of my podcast. And I feel very excited and like a lot of clarity around that. So thank you. Yes. Very welcome. Yes. I love advice giving. I don't want to present it like, you know, I never do any of these other things. But yeah, I just find that like there's a... I need to name it at some point, but there's a, just a particular type of listening that is, I think, that yeah. like, prismatic moment. And that's what I'm trying to do a lot of the time when I hold space. How not to absorb all the things you hear and not have them alter your own emotions. Oof. Yeah. So I talked a little bit about like how I think this is important, but how to do it is is challenging. I mean something I was kind of saying is I really just try to set a firm and I mean, I just set the intention myself. I want to say too, like, I do think this is different for everyone. Like I've, I've gotten really into human design recently and like, mm-hmm. and I'm always into astrology, but I think that, I think those things are important because I think we do have to learn. Like there are different people who are more predisposed to soaking in other people's feelings and the, if you know that about yourself, then I think you can take care of yourself in different ways. And you can do things like meditate before you enter a space. I don't even know human design well enough to like explain what I've learned yet. <laughs> but there's something about one of my like open centers. I forget which one it is. I think it's... Uh... Emotional chameleons. I am obsessed with that. I've always secretly wanted a pet chameleon. I don't know if now was the time to like reveal that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I looked up my human design profile. So I have an open solar plexus, (laughs) which that means anything to anyone. But what I've been learning about that, it means that other people's, if you go into a, it's, it's similar to being an empath in some ways. Like if you go into a space, you'll pick up other people's feelings and not realize that they're not your own. Mm -hmm. And 
it is super, in my experience, it's been very damaging. I've like realized I've gotten out of some, particularly when conflict comes up, like these conversations have been like, I never ever felt that. Where did that feeling come from? Cause it did not feel like it came from me. And I had to realize later, oh, it didn't come from me. <laughs> Actually came from the other person. Yes. And it can be so hard to spot because sometimes that other person isn't expressing that feeling and you picked it up anyway because it was just there in like their body language or in something else. It might require some like real energy work every time yeah. before you sit. Like or it might require a meditation or it might require grounding of some kind grounding or maybe you just know like if you have a full week schedule booked that at the end you're always gonna get raked yeah. because you're you're always gonna need that like yeah I've been working a lot this year too on setting up support for myself so you know not just saying like okay I I have this problem so here's how I'm gonna fix it or like I'm gonna there are things I have to do to take care of myself mm-hmm. but I've been working on like oh, how do I bring in another person or people who can support me in this? Because yeah. it's on me to do the hard work with the hard feelings and prepare myself for the hard feelings and clear the hard feelings. Normally I set myself up. Yeah. I think grounding is kind of like one of those phrases that gets thrown around a lot and can mean a lot of different things. But mm-hmm. I do think there's different ways to ground yourself. Something that I was that I need to be better about doing is like salt baths or even like for mm-hmm. your like yeah. at the end of the day, I'm always like, what are you already doing that feels good? And how can you just like tweak it or add something a little yeah. special? Yeah. Something I've done for grounding that has been really nice for me is mm-hmm. I put an acupuncture pillow that's for your neck, but I put it under my desk for my feet Oh, I put it at my desk all day. If I get yeah. like, if I start to feel really ungrounded, I'll put my feet on this. And just kind of gently press them in. And I have a cover for it because sometimes the, the needly parts are too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been a great, that's like just speaking to like mm-hmm. something you already enjoy that you can do a little more or add into something you're already doing. It's like so nice. And it really yeah. me come back into my body and like ground in that way a little bit. So anyway, just to share one yeah. thing I do that, that feels feels good or helps me ground when I'm feeling ungrounded, especially because I spend like eight hours a day at my computer now, my desk, and I get really sucked into digital space. Something that my therapist had talked to me about, and this is works maybe a little bit better in person, but you could do it if you're on a Zoom call too. As soon as I start to notice that I'm kind of getting like sucked into and no value judgment there, but as soon as I notice I'm getting pulled into someone's energy or like taking on what they're feeling, noticing what that feels like in my body, and then just kind of like adjusting my posture a little bit, leaning back just slightly. And it's like, not enough for them to notice. But it's enough for me to be like, okay, I'm holding space. This belongs to this person. I'm just here to witness this. I'm not taking this on. Yeah, I love that. Because I definitely don't do it. I'm always on zoom like this. (laughs) I'm like, hello. Bad, so, it's like a nice way to check in and also mind. Oh yeah. And if, if you line up, if you align your spine and put your feet on the ground, you could actually ground as opposed yeah. to when I sit like this with my legs all curled up in my seat. I mean, no judgment of that, but I'm not grounding when I do that. Exactly. Even if I don't have the time to take breaths and like do a visualization, just tuning into what the soles of my feet are feeling like in yeah. that moment. Putting them on the pillow. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I'm usually barefoot since I've been a kid. I mean, the house I grew up, there's lots of, my my parents don't have like a lot of land or anything, but we had a backyard and we had a woods mm-hmm. and I never wanted to have shoes on. So if I have the opportunity and it's like nice enough, as mm-hmm. much as I can be barefoot, that's like a grounding thing too. I had a roommate once. And she was like, you should always, like, for at least 10 minutes a day, you should have your feet on the bare ground. And I was like, we would go on walks. And at some point, we would take our shoes off. And I thought she was, like, nuts. But then I remembered, I was like, oh, this is just, I used to do this as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I love those grounding methods. They feel, they felt so impossible in winter. (laughs) I really, like, I grew up in North Carolina, so I was barefoot outside a lot more. Yeah. I'm not trying to lose a toe, so I'm not going outside barefoot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, January, February, yeah. but 
I think I always just, it just reminds me of how like divorced so many of us are from Mm. nature, but also just dirt, how divorced we are from that. And how, when we talk about grounding, we talk about it so metaphorically, but we should be a little more literal and like go touch the ground. Yeah, exactly. And I think even just like having houseplants and repotting them, I realized how much I missed just digging through the soil. As I say that, I feel like it's important to have other ways to ground the pillow, Mm. I think is so simple and sweet and supportive because having access to like a green space that is safe, that's definitely like a privilege I had growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Finding other ways to do that. Even like, because sometimes we can't, you know, take a day and like go to the park or whatever. Mm hmm. Yeah. If you're enjoying this conversation so far, join me and Amelia this Friday evening, April 16th, for part one of Rekindle, a digital retreat designed to help you embody your most creative, intuitive self. So here's what you can expect. Every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern time inside Makeshift Network, that's on Mighty Networks, we are hosting intimate, interactive conversations with three remarkable women. And here's a little bit more about what you can expect. So this Friday, April 16th, feminist writer, educator, and podcaster, Amelia Ruby, and I will chat about boundaries, self-love, and community off of social media. On April 23rd, artist and yoga instructor Ellery Diaz and I will discuss embodiment, play, and experimentation, and she'll lead us in a gentle breathwork practice. Then on April 30th, evidential medium and life coach Heather Visneski will share how to cultivate your intuition and connect with your guides, along with tips to get energetically grounded and protected. I can't wait for you to join us, and you can RSVP at um, HTTPS colon double backslash why am I reading this? Just go to Mighty Networks and search make slash shift, just like the podcast, and you'll know you found it when you see a community meeting between the magic and the messes. Or you can go to my Instagram and find the link in the bio. See you soon. I just think releasing ourselves from niceness and manners, particularly um, for people who like live in any marginalized identity so I think of that as, like as a woman um, for myself like manners were created to discipline and belittle me and my spirit and so yeah I think releasing ourselves from that can be so so important and hard really hard like yeah where they are in you and like it takes so much time to figure out yeah even if you're not setting a boundary just checking in and am I interacting with this person because I feel like I have to, or I'm just being polite or because I really want to. You do not owe everyone a response, an explanation, your time. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets us back then right into Instagram because I think, (laughs) I think that's something that happens. It's such a Instagram is so hard. And that's why I decided to leave. It was really kind of, there are a couple different breaking points that made that decision easy because Instagram got so hard. So deciding to leave got really easy at a certain point. So I've kind of been on a journey with this. So I'll just say like a good, I was talking to a good friend of mine and she, the other day, and she was like, yeah, I saw you at this place and this place and this place and this place. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a great place being my relationship to Instagram. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So my journey has been, I was on Instagram for years, just like I had a personal profile used it to show when I went on trips or what I was eating or share with my friends. And, you know, that kind of happened until I had like around a thousand followers. It was like people I was meeting in the world or brands I liked or whatever. It was like kind of a small space that was just about me as a human. And then kind of over the past, I'd say like three to four years, I really started, I, when I well, the four years, when I started Feminist Mantra Monday, my Instagram became a lot more about like, now I'm like, trying to write something that I think matters. I've got a project going here. The scope is a lot bigger than just like my friends or immediate community. I want to share this. I want to say something. I'm treating my Instagram like a platform from which to speak, not just Mm -hmm. like intimate space in which I share. So that shifted, I guess, probably in 2016. 
And then I grew that for three years. And at the start of 2020, when my book was coming out, I made a real concerted effort to grow my Instagram following. So it's like, okay, I've been building this platform in a kind of organic, but not super intentional way, trying to get more followers, but being pretty loose with that. And then Mm -hmm. in 2020, I really was like, all right, I'm going to go all in on this because everyone I talked about my book says I need more Instagram followers to promote it. I've got to build a following. I've got to build a following. Like that's that advice just gets like pounded into you. So I hired a friend of mine to do all my branding. I hired another friend, acquaintance, now friend to work on a social media strategy with me. I spent like $2,000 total on those things, I think, just to put numbers to it for people who are interested. I hate people never share how much stuff costs and it drives And me. I appreciate that because <laughs> like I've been so overwhelmed by social media and I'm like, oh, no wonder it feels like a lot for me to be doing the work that I do and also share the work I do. Yeah. Like that's valuable as fuck. Like there's a reason why people make a living out of that. Yeah, it, it is valuable and it costs money. Like either it's costing either you like the money of your time or you're paying. Yeah. So so yeah, when I say I like went all in, I I mean energetically and also I spent real money. Like to me, yeah. too, a lot of money. And I spent money on trying to like be really intentional and talk to people who knew what they were talking about, about what would help me grow. So in 2020, I was on Instagram all the time. And that was before, even pre-pandemic when we were all on Instagram all the time for different reasons or pre-protest last June, we were all on Instagram for different reasons. Like January, I posted, my Instagram is going to change. It's going to be all about this now. I hope that you'll follow. I hope that you'll share. And I was building out like a lot of content. I was doing, I was creating so much content just for Instagram. And some of that's beautiful. Like the selfies for self-love practice group came out of a month of content that I did on Instagram in February, 2020, all love. And I took that content and flipped it into a course and sold it. So in terms of it wasn't, you know, I wasn't just purely investing in this platform and getting monetarily and getting no monetary or energetic return. So that was like a phase being all in on Instagram was a phase. (laughs) And then toward the end of last year, I wrote, I just realized it was getting way too energetically expensive. And the way I started framing it for myself is like, it just, Instagram has started to feel like it's forcing me into a codependent relationship with it. It's creating this anxious attachment that I have worked so hard to get rid of in every other area of my life. Like so hard. (laughs) So I don't want to just accept that because I'm on this platform, I'm going to be anxiously attached to it. And what I, and so I started to be like, okay, well, maybe I just need some boundaries. That's like, that's one way to solve anxious attachment is like you work on your boundaries and you like, don't, you kind of say like, here's how I will engage with this person or thing. And that's it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of made this post at the beginning of 2021 that was like, I'm going to get on Instagram on Mondays. I'm going to check in. I'm going to, and like, I'll be on for the day. Then I'm going to log off for the rest of the week. Um, I'm going to direct people to these other places to interact with me. Um, I'll get on once a month to promote an event. Like I made some pretty clear, like rules and boundaries. Yeah. And then what I realized when I did that is I remembered this other lesson I've learned. <laughs> like the first lesson I remembered was, oh yeah, how do I, what's one way to solve codependency or anxious attachment boundaries? The next lesson was like, wait, why do I think I like, do I really have to solve this? Like, is this about me? Do I have a problem here? Or is it this thing that I, that implies that like, you have to have a relationship with it somehow. Like that's the only one you can make the work that you do. Yeah. So I really started to unpack that presumption. Do I actually have to have this? I was like, you know, Instagram is not there are relationships in my life where they're important enough to me that I will create mm-hmm. those boundaries and I will figure it out because I need, I want that person. I particularly think mm-hmm. of like family there. Like there's some people in my family, I'm not going to write them out of my life. So I'm going to figure out how to uh, like work with my anxious attachment or work on the codependency there. But I was like, Instagram is not my fucking family. <laughs> Instagram is not, <laughs> is not like my best friend from childhood that like, I'm going to figure this out with like, yes, Rachel, 100% the, point here. I love this frame on it too. Women specifically are conditioned to believe that when they encounter a problem, they should solve it. And if 
they need to fix themselves to eliminate the problem. Not that like the problem is just a fucked up part of society. So after I created those boundaries, it was not long before I realized "Mm, Instagram is what's fucked up here. I am not, (laughs) I am not messed up in this. Instagram is a huge problem and I don't want to do it anymore. I refuse to be in this kind of relationship the way I want to weed this out the way I weeded out the other codependent relationships in my life. And in my opinion, Instagram is not going to change. It's going to continue to force us on this roller coaster of light of likes, this roller coaster of attention. Like, and it does that. And Instagram doesn't have to do that. They're making a choice to do that. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox now. <laughs> but I just I had to I had to stop. Like yeah. I had to decide to stop. And it's sure it's scary. Like I, I do run part of my life and business on here. Like, I don't know if selfies for self-love practice group will exist without Instagram. (laughs) Thanks. And I'll keep going. Yeah. I just, you know, it is scary, but the other thing that happened that I haven't mentioned yet is like, yes, Instagram is like creates these relationships that I think are super problematic. And I think they do it on purpose. Yeah. Also for me, when they put out Instagram, put out new terms and conditions, whatever they're called last at the end of last year, that made it pretty clear that they will track whatever they want to on your phone. If you're using the app and I had already worked, I, I keep my stuff pretty shut down. I don't let any of my apps use location services. I like, I'm pretty, I try to be as privacy shut down as possible, but when Instagram put that out, I was like, when they made clear what their position was, which is that by using this free service, we are all really giving them access to the full data on our phones, including like where we are, how we spend our time, how we're on other apps, what we're searching. They kind of left open a lot of doors that they can look at all that if they want to, or they build out the capacity to. Yeah. I just realized like this type of surveillance is so against all of my values. And for me, I wrote this long post that I never posted that maybe I will post sometime. It might be your farewell post. <laughs> I know. It'll probably, it'll probably go up soon. I saved it. I just didn't share it yet. Um, and the whole point of it, like, everything I do here is about feminist values. And Instagram is an anti-feminist space. Like, I know that people share rad feminist stuff on Instagram all the time. But as a platform, Facebook, which owns Instagram is all about surveillance and it is all about monetizing people's personalities and dreams and desires against them. And that to me is, is not is anti it is like against feminism. It undermines feminism. And so I feel like to be fully in my values, I can't be here. And that in some senses sucks because this is great. <laughs> like this, mm-hmm. this conversation and everyone watching, like I will miss this. And like, I can't so easily recreate this off Instagram. Like I, I get, I am making a sacrifice when I leave. I see it that way. And I'm grieving something when I leave. But I think that this is the last thing I'll say. <laughs> I think to create the new world, we all have to make sacrifices. And I'm going to sacrifice Instagram the same way I sacrificed Amazon. Like, it's fine. I'm going to give up something because I want something that I believe is better. And that I believe and that if I'm going to believe it can happen, I have to be willing to give this up. And, and honestly, we're going to have to give up way harder things than Instagram and Amazon. Yeah. To actually live in a world where everybody gets to be free. This is like the beginning. So I I just kind of see it as like, I got to start practicing now (laughs) because eventually I'm going to have to give up some really hard stuff. So I'll give up the apps first. (laughs) (laughs) The apps first. Yeah. So what other ways are you taking part in community off of this app? I know you're involved in a lot of different, like really beautiful groups and communities. And I just love to hear more about them. Yeah. Um, so I think, yes, part of what I've done is like, since I realized I was leaving Instagram, I I kind of just joined a bunch of the paid membership communities of people around me. Um, so Anna, I'm in the makeshift coven, which you run and people should totally check out and come join us. (laughs) That was not a plug. I really, (laughs) no, it's fine. Um, thanks Ellery. I appreciate it. Um, I definitely like went in there. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, makeshift coven is lovely and I love our 
to me, it's kind of like, I know there are a lot of pieces to it, but for me, it's filled the space of like new moon and full moon gatherings and community. Um, and then I'm also in part of a community called Kin. If Maggie's still here, Maggie's in that with me. That's run by um, like a now teacher of mine, Mary Grace Allardyce. And I love mm-hmm. that community. Mary Grace actually um, is one of the people who, when I was thinking about getting off Instagram, really kind of shaped that for me. She she got off Instagram right after they put out the new terms of service and um, put out did a really beautiful podcast episode called on deep alignment. And that really started is what kind of put together some pieces for me around the values part of this and how, if I want deep alignment in my life, I have to act, I have to do act in certain ways mm-hmm. um, and get off Instagram was kind of her point in that episode. So I would highly suggest people. Oh, discord. Oh yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, I love what she discords. I'm in the, I'm in Marley Grace's planetarium portal discord, which I really enjoy. I'm on, um, Zanetta, who's here, Sound Art Magic. Also, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing your name. Um, so just, but either way, I will keep plugging Sound Art Magic because I'm on their Patreon. Um, oh, um, and I love that. And there's some really, really beautiful resources. I'm not a, I'm not the most active community member there, but I appreciate the space that um, that is held there. The name of Mary Grace's podcast is Homebody. I think that, yeah, it's Homebody Podcast. And that episode is called Deep Alignment, I think. Um, yeah, Homebody, one word. I just looked at it on uh, Spotify. So you can find it there. That episode is like back in, it's called Your Deep Alignment is a Portal. And it came out on New Year's Eve, or not, no, mm-hmm. Christmas Eve last year. Um, there have got to be other things. So like, I think that's been a piece for me as I just decided, mm-hmm. um, Oh yeah. I'm going to, instead of getting free community on Instagram, I'm going to support my friends financially and I'm going to join different communities. Um, Oh, I also just recently joined Holisticism's The North Node because I've been thinking more and more about launching a business. And that's really like kind of business specific entrepreneur specific tools that I've been appreciating a lot. I just joined Um, their free community. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, their free community is great too. Yeah, that and I just joined um, the Holistic Business Academy with Sarah M. Chappelle. Yes, I I love Sarah's work. I have not been a part of, I haven't you know paid to join any of her communities. But yes, I I like Mighty Networks a lot. Ken Mary Grace's community is run on Mighty Network. Yeah, so I I have definitely yeah something that has also I've been as I join different communities, it's been really interesting. Like they all serve kind of a different thing and they're like different levels. Pretty much all the communities I've joined have a pretty heavy, like spiritual or magical component. But for me, like makeshift coven is a lot of beautiful, like we're all, it it reminds me of like a child archetype. We're all like coming in, like with like lovely open eyes and enjoying Mm -hmm. things. And we're moving slow. Like it feels like very, beginner mindset in the very best way and then like when I join Mary Grace's kin is like a different level or layer of when I go there I feel like in the sea <laughs> like in the, it's like wading pond swimming pool and then when I go in the north node I'm like wow I'm underwater there is so much here yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have dove deep into the depths of all this stuff I never knew about I'm I'm pretty new to most like witchy things like I've read tarot for a long time but now all of a sudden I'm like casting my archetype wheel and opening the Akashic records but yeah I, I realized when I left Instagram I was going to feel a real vacuum of community so I intentionally sought out these membership mm-hmm. community spaces I don't think they have to be paid communities. Just the ones I've ended up joining have been, like you said, Holisticism has a really free, beautiful, free community hub and other spaces do too. So that's like been a really big piece of it for me. And then the other piece, I think I had to figure out like, okay, how am I going to share my stuff now? The community pieces, like, where am I going to go to feed my spirit and be with people? But it's also like, how am I going to tell people about what I'm doing? So I've had a newsletter for a long time. It's been pretty dormant recently for the past six months. 
I'm directing people there so I can really start writing and sharing again. I also do do my feminist mantra Monday texts. So um, I've moved, let's see, I have like, I think I have 2,700 Instagram followers right now. And I really tried to get everyone to sign up for mantra text. And I, I had like 150 people on that list. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty solid. I also find it annoying. No one will talk about how many people are on their lists. It, I just, people are so not transparent. We're trained to be that way. And no yeah. one's obligated to share that information, but I think it like doesn't serve us that we keep it. Yeah. yeah I'm thrilled to have 150 people that get my mantra texts every yeah. week. That feels really beautiful. I mean, to go back to that self-comparison piece, I think it's helpful to, to realize, okay, you don't, sometimes you'll see people that are kind of in a similar space and Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, what are they, what are they doing that I'm not? Or how are they so successful? For me, it can often lead to self-doubt and comparison. Yeah. And I think it's also important to realize that you don't have to have like thousands of people to create something meaningful, which is certainly yeah. true about your mantra Mondays. Like, That's wonderful and so true. And, you know, something we all have to learn that is as you grow, things change. And so that's been a piece of my Instagram experience, too, is like <laughs> it is just I don't want to call it a fact, but it feels like a fact as your list, as your as your mailing list grows eventually you'll hit a point where your opens decrease like everyone's does and smaller lists have better open rates because you know really small lists are created are full of people that you know and the when your list is like your close circle then they're going to open and respond to your emails and that's why you can run a whole business off of a list like that if people are invested in investing in you you don't need a 7000 person list you can have a 70 person list um But I think too, and I think that there's a lot of value in kind of, we all have to figure out enough, you know, for some people, a 70 person list, they can run a business that will totally support them off of that. And for other people, they can't, and they need a 700 person list or 7,000 person list to run the business that's going to bring in enough investment and um, that's going to support the lifestyle that they want or need to have. And so I think that like knowing what's enough is really different. And as you grow, things change. My Instagram feels so different now than it did when I had under a thousand people. It's super different. When I go on Instagram, I don't talk to people I know IRL anymore. I talk to my internet friends, which whom I love. And I've made tons of new ones. You're like, you know, we met actually in person, but you're really an internet friend. Like we haven't <laughs> had a lot of in-person interaction or like off of, you know, so like yeah. I have... It's just things shift as they scale, they change and they feel different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I listen to podcasts with like a lot of influencers who are way bigger than me. Um, So I mentioned I'm part of Marley Grace's Planetarium Portal. I just listened to her on Mara Glassell's podcast, Needy, which I love. Like I love that podcast. And she talked about how she has like 80,000 Instagram followers and she literally cannot reply to everyone who messages her. And she talked a lot about, we were talking about like, you know, how you pick up energies or how you let things let go of them or don't absorb them. She talked about that a lot in that podcast episode about Mm -hmm. how like she could feel like somebody would DM her and she might be like, yay, thank you. This is great. And then like, they take that as an invitation to be in conversation with her. And she's like, she can always feel that moment when she like disengages and she can feel the pain that like produces for them, but she can't engage with 80,000 people or even 10,000 people or 8,000. Like you can't do that. And I have not even 3000 Instagram followers and I don't have to deal with it on that scale, but I can imagine that scale because I can feel the shift between under a thousand and almost 3000 a lot. And my DMS are mostly full of people. I don't know now saying beautiful, wonderful, kind things like thank you out to me and talking to me and I want to talk to them, but it's just a totally different experience. And it's also much harder to figure out how to talk to 3000 people than it is to talk to a few hundred, the different, the my comfort level on my newsletter where there's like I don't know, 400 people. I don't even know right now versus like Instagram where it's thousands of people. Like they're so, it's just, it's all different. (laughs) So I think too, that 
we're so conditioned to think of growth for the sake of, well, I hold, I want to hold two truths here. We're really conditioned to think of growth for the sake of growth. And maybe sometimes staying small serves us Mm -hmm. at the same time. I watch a lot of people run really small businesses that run themselves into the ground because they didn't grow big enough to support themselves. And I don't think like, so I get nervous when I say like staying small is great because I also work as like, a, I work with entrepreneurs all the time. So I do have that realistic mindset of, yeah, you might need more people to run a business. that's actually going to make enough money to support you. That's real. Like we, ha- we have to hold space for that, but I think you can be really intentional about how you choose mm-hmm. to grow and be really clear about like what's a vanity metric and what's a real like convertible metric. Now I've gotten a little in the weeds, but like one of my things that made getting off Instagram easier for me from a business standpoint is I was like, this is actually not that convertible of a space. I'm here with 3000 people, but even the most like beautiful free offer I could come up with, I got 150 people to opt into it, which is great. That's a solid conversion rate, but like I can convert a lot higher other ways with other things. So I've kind of gone into the weeds of business conversation now, but I do think it's about like holding all of that together. What's enough for you energetically? And if you're Mm -hmm. running, let's get real financially. Like don't disregard that part of your life. I think the idea that all small businesses have to be on Instagram and grow on Instagram is a lie. So how do we, if Instagram doesn't feel good to you and you feel like you're only here because you have to be here. I think we can unpack that story. I don't think that's a true, true story for most cases. It might mean you change part of your business. It might mean you lose. I might not teach my selfies class anymore because selfies are on Instagram and that's, it doesn't convert well in my newsletter. Instagram sells it. So maybe I don't teach that anymore, but it doesn't mean I can't have a business just means things might shift. So I decided I was going to leave Instagram on my 30th birthday, which is April 19th which I'm excited about. I'm excited about my, I I can't wait to turn 30. I'm so pumped about that. Um, (laughs) And I'm excited to leave Instagram. Honestly, I've been away for most of March and it's felt really clarifying. And so I, the, the deal I've made with myself that I will is not really a secret, but I'll share it with all of you, which is that um, I'm going to miss all of you, but I am getting off Instagram (laughs) And I will have my newsletter and I will um, still send my mantra texts and I'll figure out kind of what else feels good from there. Obviously, I will speak very impassionately or passionately about the decision that I've made. Um, And I do like to share like my thinking behind that because there was a lot of thought behind it. there's a ton. So I like to share that, but I am not, I just don't see any value in judging other people and what they decide to do. Certainly not. Yeah. I think that wherever, yeah, wherever you are with Instagram or other things is great. And I think too, like I get the, there are also just like some practical reasons it can make sense. Like it is, it, feel, it does still feel easier to me to put up an Instagram post than write a whole newsletter or produce a whole pod. Like they're, they're just different things. I was kept thinking while we were talking about, I watched a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, over the course of the past this year. <laughs> I basically watched all of it, all of the backlog of seasons this year. <laughs> Have you seen RuPaul's guest appearance on Broad City? Because no, I haven't. Absolutely perfect. Beautiful. I yeah. I, um, Yes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was thinking, so there's, uh, I think Tatiana on one of the all-star seasons, her like slogan is like choices. <laughs> she says like that. And it's, and every time somebody like does something incredulous or like goes on stage with like, like a weird out- outfit that doesn't make sense to her or whatever else, she's like, mm-hmm choices they're making these choices (laughs) and I keep thinking about that um the word choices and that like slogan of choices because for me like like that's just I we're all making choices basically Mm -hmm. and what I what finally really got to me about Instagram is it didn't feel like a choice anymore and so I decided to quit and I was gonna make different choices and those choices Mm -hmm. like they it's not that 
they're like they cost different things. I chose to do feminist mantra text because the idea of sending a weekly newsletter made me want to puke. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. That sounds so hard. I, like, I didn't. Want, I felt forced into that choice too. So I think it's just we all. I, well, ideally, we get to make choices. And then I think it's just being aware when we're no longer making a choice. Like, I think part of what feels so bad about Instagram to so many people is we don't feel empowered anymore. It feels like an obligation. Mm-hmm. It feels like we've been yep. forced into it. Anytime I feel that way, I want to get out of that thing. I don't want to be yeah. in a relationship that feels like I'm forced. to. And be- I think with good reason, because how else do we cultivate that feeling of being in flow, of being in alignment? Yeah those like small choices that we're making and checking in with ourselves. Does this feel good? Does this feel fun? Does this bring me ease and joy? If not, why do I feel like I need it? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I'm, I I think for me working to, I'm always working toward alignment and that means I'm always Mm -hmm. working for a life where I've made choices that feel good. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I don't know, we live in a pretty fucked up world, so that's not always possible, but the more choices I get to make that feel good, the better, the more in alignment life my life feels and the more in flow and I feel. Thank you so much for joining me in this space. Seriously, your time, your energy, and your attention are precious resources. So I'm honored that you're here. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review, a rating, and share with a friend so other folks can hear about the incredible work that my guests are doing. You can find me on social media for a little while anyway at labom917 and explore intuitive guidance sessions at annaeshink.com. Until next time, sending you lots of love.